1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to pick up there in verse 17, just pick up where we left off last week. As you're turning there, I want to mention just a couple of things. Uh, first of all, for our guests that are visiting, again, I want to say thank you. I failed to say this. There's a card attached to that jelly, and uh, we'd love you to fill that out. Promise we're not going to do anything nefarious with it. We're not going to do anything to, to violate your trust in that, but we'd love to have a record of your visit with us, and you can leave that. You can drop it in the box by the doors going out. You can give it to somebody that looks like they belong here and say, hey, get that to pastor or uh, however you want to do that. But we'd love to have a record of your visit. So if you don't mind doing that, we'd be very, very appreciative of that. And then I want to mention this. So Patrick Duncan is, is uh, scheduled to go on the trip with us. Uh, early in the week last week, Patrick got sick and he tested positive for COVID. Now, y'all know how that goes now. So uh, you go to the doctor and they tell you five days quarantine. And if your fever's gone and all that, you know, after five days, you're, you're good to go. Maybe put a mask on and, and that kind of stuff. So Patrick's feeling a whole lot better. Uh, in fact, talked, talked, texted with him, I guess, uh, even this morning he was texting that, that he's, he's doing better. He ate yesterday. Fever's gone. He, he's on the upswing. So praise the Lord. So I'm, I'm praying that he's going to be able to make this trip. I'd hate, hate, hate for him to, to miss it. But here's the challenge, and I know he's struggling with this, so I want us to pray and, and pray for them. Levi has uh, croup again. He just had that a few weeks ago and really, really sick. So, uh, so Kristen took him to the doctor, and yes, he has croup, and they've given him some medicine for that, but he also tested for positive for COVID. Now, we know the story of that. Most, most, in most cases, most all cases with children, most of them, they don't even get it. So when they do get it, it's very, very, very mild. I don't think, I'm, I'm just praying he's not even, the, the, the COVID's not even going to be an issue with him. But Kristen's probably got it as well. And so another round of that. She's going to test at home. Uh, but pray for them. That's just, you know, it's what happens sometimes in a household. Somebody gets it and it goes through the house. So uh, we want to pray for them and, uh, and pray for Patrick because I know it's a tough decision with, with Levi sick, with, with Kristen sick, potentially sick, uh, to, to decide to go on this trip. I know she's going to say go, and he's going to say, I don't know. So well, we just want to pray for him that he has wisdom, but that they, they get well. So lift them up, okay? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 17. We're, we're looking at this this morning. You obviously know what the topic is. I already shared that with you. But here would be my title this morning. It's Don't Forget to Remember. Don't Forget to Remember. And so we're looking at the Lord's Supper. And we're just going to kind of walk through this verse by verse and, and, and see what the Lord has for us. Uh, in, in the instructions that Paul gives to the church at Corinth concerning the Lord's Supper or communion. All right, so uh, verse, uh, first, uh, verse 17, we'll start right there. He says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Now, if we go back to, to verse 2. He says, he says in verse 2, he says, Now I praise you, brethren. So when we, when we looked at the passages last week, he, he was praising them because the things that he had instituted in this new church with these new believers, so many of the things that he had told them, one of them being the Lord's Supper. He told them baptism, Lord's Supper, two of the ordinances of the church. But we talked about the traditions that he taught wasn't just a couple of ordinances and it wasn't just traditions of men. He was, we're talking about... Everything that goes into how a church should function, how Christians should behave, all of the things that Paul had instructed them in, he praised them. He said, you, you, you remember these things. Now, they had some problems. This whole book is dealing with problems they had in the church. Uh, folks, we're 2,000 years down the road, and we have problems in the church. Amen? 
So I'm glad that they had problems because Paul had to write and address them and correct them and gives us instruction on how to address and correct the problems, the same problems that they faced then that we face today. He gives us instruction on how to face those things. But he told him earlier, he said, I praise you. We get to verse 17 now as he's transitioning from the conversation we had about attire in the church, about head coverings, all that that we looked at last week, to now he's dealing with this, this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And he says, I don't praise you. I, now, in giving of, in, of these instructions, I do not praise you because there were some serious problems going on. It's one thing to... If, if we've got some things that get out of whack, this is when you talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper, the two ordinances that we today still observe in the church. One, we, we, we observe, you know, the Lord's death, the burial and resurrection. We, we observe that and remember that. The other, we, we kind of take part and we picture it with him in baptism. And we, we buried in his likeness, raised to walk in newness of life. When we get these things, if we get these out of whack, there's a problem. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's a, addressing the problem they have. So right here, he doesn't praise them. And so this is what we're going to look at. The first point of this this morning is problems with the Lord's Supper. Verses 18 through 22, Paul deals with this. He says, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Now, we've already read this back, back to chapter 1. I'll, I'll talk about this in a second. But we already saw this where there were schisms in the church. There was the, the, the schisma was the word. It means division or a rent or a schism. And we saw that back in chapter 1. And there were cliques in the church. There was conflict in the church. There was brokenness in the church. There was a kind of a political agenda. There were folks that wanted to attach themselves to someone maybe who was more prominent to help themselves. And it was, there was this vying, almost a party system within the church. So Paul's kind of alluding to that. And he says, in part, I believe it. I believe there these divisions were going on in the church. Verse 19, he says, for there must also be, if there's these divisions in their church, there must also be these factions among you that those who are proved may be recognized among you. Now, the factions, that word has a, has a little different meaning. It, it's a, a choice. It's disunion. It's kind of the same idea, but it's not. Some of your translations as you're reading right now might even use the word heresies. Does anybody's, anybody's Bible say heresies? Okay, now if you go back and look up that word, it doesn't actually mean heresies in the context that we use it today. Talking about getting off doctrinally where we're teaching, we've, we've perverted the teaching truth in the scriptures and it's heretical. That's not exactly what the word here means. This word factions, it's more of a, there, there, was, there was disunity, there were, there were groups again, there was sects. S-E-C-T-S. They were groups, divisions. They were separating themselves by class. You know, you know there was, uh, you think about the, the different uh, sects that they have in, I think it's India, where there's a lot of different groups and one hates the other and they oppress the others and those kind of things. That's the idea here. This is the heresy that, that, that word, what that means, that there are sects within the group. This group is looking down on that group. That group's looking down on this one. So the reference here is, to, is, is different from the earlier reference where the first one was people vying for position and they were rallying around prominent names within the church. Here the reference is not so much to party spirit as to social snobbery. That's, that's what Paul is dealing with. That's what was happening as they were coming together. There was discrimination against the poor members of the fellowship. Now, the verse goes on and says that those, it says, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now, one commentator, as I read this, he said that it appears that the Lord allowed this within the church 
in order to prove or to show who was genuine in their faith. Sometimes when there's, you know, here's what happens. Sometimes when there's a, a problem within the church, it's a test. It, 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 it's a test for others. It, it allows us to see, you know, where am I going to come down on this? Where, where, where am I going to stand? Am I going to get caught up in the wrong or am I going to stand if it's by myself for doing what's right? And I, I, I want to be the one that stands for what's right. Amen. I want to I stand for what's right. And that's what, that's what it appears that perhaps the Lord allowed these things to go on the church to prove those who were genuine in their faith. Verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, they were supposed to be coming together to have the Lord's Supper, to eat the Lord's Supper. But as he says, it was not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. Verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Do you think Paul was happy with what was going on? I am not pleased. This is not good. I'm not praising you in this. And here again, he says, I do not praise you. And so here's in a nutshell what was going on. So there were that they did a thing. You've probably read this word or heard this word or seen this at some time. But they would do what were called love feast. Now that that I don't that word almost is sounds a little cringeworthy today. You know what is what does that mean? A love feast. Um, But it was kind of like what we do on Wednesday nights. The idea was they came together, they brought their meals, and they fellowshiped together around the table. There's a lot of different views on what this might have looked like. In some cases, they may have actually come together in the love feast and having the meal and observed the Lord's Supper within that context of that. Others would come together for that meal, and then afterwards they would take the Lord's Supper. They would do that different. Here's the problem. So you you get a picture of our Wednesday night fellowship together. It's a covered dish or what, what some people would call a pitch in. I don't know. What, what, what are some other terms to that? Y'all know what I'm talking about. So it's like what we do when we at Thanksgiving. We prepare the meat and everybody brings a side or a dessert or something like that. So that's kind of the idea of what's going on. But people were bringing their, mish, their, their dishes and, 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 and there was here, the problem was there wasn't being a whole lot of love being shown in the love feast. So they're, they're coming together and those who are more prominent are bringing a huge spread and they got it set up. And this ought to be a situation where we put it up like we do there. It's, it's available for everybody and everybody gets opportunity to go through and, and, to, and to enjoy the meal and everyone gets to partake in that. But what was happening is some were coming with their meal and they were quite a feast and they set it up and they might have their select few. Hey, you, you come, you can come sit at the table with us and others sit and they sit there and they, I mean, they're just fat and happy. I mean, there were other people who were sitting over on the side and were doing without. So there were some who were hungry and there were some who were drunk. They're, 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 they're gluttony. They're gluttony in their drinking. They're gluttony in their food they're, while others are going hungry. And what Paul is saying, you know, there's no love in that feast. There's no love at all in that. You, you, you are showing discrimination against those, the ones, the very ones who had nothing and come in and they don't have anything to eat and they're over to the side and those who had it and were able to be a blessing to others were not being a blessing. There is the problem that we're seeing within the church. Now I want to tell you kind of an illustration of that and I hope the person who I'm going to illustrate doesn't get upset with me um, in this. Wednesday nights we gather together, we have our meal and one of the things we don't provide on our Wednesday night meals, we don't provide it as a church, is dessert. We don't provide that. 
We'd provide the, the meal, there's food, there's drinks, all that's provided. But we, we haven't provided dessert. Well, Mark Austin, I think his favorite part of the meal is dessert. And, and he told me he was bringing desserts in Wednesday night. Mark has been bringing desserts to our Wednesday night meals for quite a while now. And he, he's in, he don't want me to say anything right now. So please forgive me, but you, it's a great illustration. Um, so Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon, he's bringing in some desserts and we're carrying them in. And Mark tells me this. He says, you know, my mom always told me that if you don't have enough for everybody, don't bring even any for yourself. Don't bring, don't bring any if you don't have enough for everybody. So Mark's been making sure there's enough for everybody. And see, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea here is that we share this. And so they come together and they have this feast. That's, that's loving. That's caring. That's what the Christian community ought to be doing when we gather together. What a great picture of that. And praise the Lord, Mark, for, for doing that. And I know you don't do it so somebody would pat you on the back. You don't do it. You do it so you can have dessert and not feel, <laughs> and not feel guilty that nobody else is having dessert. I know that. Uh, but praise the Lord that God's used that and it's been a blessing. That's part of, 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 of a love feast. That's as we get together and we love on each other in that way. That's another word that's kind of creepy. You know? We want to love on them. Um, you know what I mean, okay? We love each other. We want to show that. So number two then, let's look at this. He said, so, so when he, Paul's talking about this, now he transitions from that was the problem. And so he looks at when this institution, when this, when this, uh, when this observance of the Lord's Supper, when it was instituted. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Paul doesn't say, hey, I got this from the disciples who were there with the Lord that night. I got together with them. We talked about it. They informed me what was going on. That's not at all what happened. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So Paul's telling them, I've delivered this to you. I've already verbally shared with you all of this about the Lord's Supper. And yet we've got these problems, so there's some things. I'm, I've got to reiterate it now. And Paul's putting it into writing. He's putting it into writing so that when there's problems in the future, like 2,000 years down the road and there are problems within the church with communion, we can go back and look at what Paul had to say about how this was to be done. But he received it from the Lord, directly from the Lord. The Lord showed him this and taught him this. This is one of the great, great, great things that's just so amazing about Paul and his ministry of how God spoke directly to him, talked to him and showed him and gave him these things. So this communion of remembrance was instituted on the most solemn night of the Lord's life. Storm clouds were already gathering. The Passover feast had been commemorated by Jesus in the upper room with the disciples. And now it was over. And, the, and, the, and the, that Passover meal, that night when he finished the Passover meal, and, and when they were done and it was over, folks, it was over forever. That was the end of it. The Passover meal was, was being done away with. Its significance was ended. The true Passover lamb, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, was about to be killed and his blood shed. Redemption from a greater bondage than that of Israel in Egypt was about to be purchased for all mankind. Judas had already left to carry out his wicked mission, and the Sanhedrin was awaiting his arrival. They were waiting. They knew the plan was already in place. Pilate had been alerted that an urgent capital case might be referred to him soon. Our Lord's last night on this earth had come. Now, as we begin to think, and I want you to I'll say this now. I, I put it over here because I didn't want to forget this. 
As, as, we, as we read through this this morning, we talked through this, I want you to do something for me. I need you to see it in color. And I, I share that often, is that, that, you know, as you read the scriptures, you need to see it in color. And I want you to see this. I want you to imagine it because these are not stories and just, just pieces of things on a, on a page. This is history. That This is history. These are the things that happened. This is what actually happened. This is truth. And God has given us this. So as we read this, I want you to see in your mind the events taking place. Okay, Imagine the things that are going on. So we've come to this, this last supper, this last, that final Passover meal and this last meal. You have to understand, it's the Lord's. We know what they didn't know. The Lord knew, but the others didn't know. We know, looking back on this as we read this, this is the Lord's last night on earth. It's His last night. And lay ahead of the Lord was Gethsemane, where He would pray, and there would be a, a submission to God's will. There was Gabbatha, where He would be judged, and He would, he would remain silent as a lamb to the shearers was, was silent to the, those who would slay him. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't try to defend himself there at Gabbatha. And then it was off to Golgotha where he would, where he would be nailed to a cross and he would, he would die for our sin. And then the grave. By 3 o'clock the very next day, Jesus would be dead. When you think about that night in that room, the shadow of the cross lay across that last supper. No one could see it but the Lord. The shadow of the cross was already laying across that table where they sat and had that meal. Before going out to face the terrible ordeal ahead, the Lord paused to institute this new feast. That's when communion was instituted. The occasion could not have been more sobering than it was. And Paul had received this from the Lord. He'd already delivered it to them, and now he's reiterating it with them again. So that's when it was instituted. Now, what was, what, is and what, it, what was and what is the focus of the Lord's Supper? Now, observance of the Lord's Supper, and, and, and I'll say this as a matter of fact right here, that with all true worship, it revolves around remembering three focal points, three things I'm going to point out. The first is this. We remember the Lord's person. When we gather together for the Lord's Supper, we're going to remember the Lord's person. Verses, the second part of verse 23 through, 20, uh, through 25, we'll look at this. And now in this, we're going to see two emblems that were brought forward by the Lord Jesus to emphasize this. Two emblems. First was the emblem of his body. He says in verse, uh, the second part of verse 23 there, and we read that the Lord took bread, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, how many times had the Lord taken bread and broken bread before? How many times had he done that? It was such an ordinary, everyday act. Bread was a part of, of every meal in that culture. It, it was so important. Um, even in those days, and even today in those areas, the bread is it's ornate. It's just such an important part of life. How many times had the Lord done this ordinary thing of taking bread and breaking it and praying over it? In days past, he had taken bread and blessed it and fed people by the thousands. But now he bestows on the bread a significance all its own. He says, this is my body. That's what he said. But first, he gave thanks. But not just for the bread. This was not just an ordinary blessing that you would give before an ordinary meal. He gave thanks, then deliberately broke it and said, This is my body. 
In other words, he stood there with that bread in his hands, and you see it. See him with the bread, and he has the bread in his hands, which symbolized his body. And he gave thanks for the, for the fast approaching breaking of his literal body on the cross of Calvary. What an extraordinary act of faith that was by the Lord Jesus. Soon Jesus' body would be beaten, battered, bruised, and broken beyond all imagination. He'd be punched and slapped and spit upon. He'd be mocked and crowned with thorns and scourged to the bone. His beard would be plucked from his face, and then nails would be hammered through his hands and feet, securing him to that old wooden cross. And every bone in his body would be pulled out of joint. Yet he gave thanks for all of this. He gave thanks. Such was his trust in his Father. And such, too, was his understanding of the ultimate redemptive work of the cross. He says, this is my body. Now, obviously, what we have here is a metaphor, okay? The bread used at the communion feast is not magically changed into the material body of Christ but by some incantation of certain words. And there are those who would believe that, that a priest would stand over the bread and the cup and would speak words and that that, that bread would literally become the body of Christ. And that is not what the Lord taught. That is not what Paul ta- teaches. It is not what happened. I mean, obviously, the Lord takes a bread, a piece of bread. There is an illustration in this, a metaphor in this. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body. We see that there is a metaphor. The Lord meant that the bread was henceforth to be regarded as his memorial body. It was a picture of his material body soon to be broken at Calvary. And he says, take, eat as he passed the broken bread around the table. And as the bread, and you've got to see this, as the bread was passed from hand to hand, each one tore off a piece, adding to its mutilation, and thereby testifying to the part each one's sin played in the breaking of the Lord's material body on the cross. As we take the bread this morning, And we can picture that as though the bread were being passed and we're tearing off of that. We're breaking off of the Lord's body. We are mutilating His body by our sin. And if we think we're any less guilty than they were or every person that's ever lived, we're fooling ourselves because our sin broke His body. And when we take this this morning, we should see that. You see this. See, takes that bread, and you can picture in your mind, we do it a little different with these wafers that that will come. But you imagine that bread. You broke that off of his body. His body is broken because of our sin. That's what we think of. This is a very, very, very personal thing. Second thing is the emblem of his blood in verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why are we doing it? We're doing it in remembrance of him. What are we drinking there? We're we're, we're drinking symbolically of his blood. Symbolically, we're remembering his blood, his sinless, perfect blood that was from God Almighty that was shed every drop precious beyond value. And yet it was shed for us. The contents of the cup were clearly intended to symbolize the blood shed on the cross of Calvary 
for the sin of the world. Now we think of the we think of that and we say the blood shed on the cross, but the Lord shed blood from 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 the very start of this judgment. They slapped him in the face. His nose may have bled, his lip may have bled, and he was shedding blood at the very beginning of this. And then they take him and they, and they brutalized his body. When they scourged him, that wasn't at the cross. He was still to bear his cross to Calvary. But at that time when they scourged him, he would have shed blood. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, it's not easy to watch. I, I watched it one time. I've not been able to watch it again. But it is so, it is just wrenching as you see what our Lord went through. And I don't think that the movie does justice to the reality of, of, of the damage done to our Lord's body. And the blood that was shed, his, his perfect, innocent, sinless blood that was shed on the, on the cross for the world. Throughout the Old Testament period, rivers of blood flowed in countless animal sacrifices, but all that blood couldn't bring peace or wash away a single stain. Now, sinless blood has flowed from the veins of a perfect sacrifice. This is what we remember. While the Lord never asked us to remember his birth, he would have us never forget the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. So the Lord would have us remember his person. This do, he says, in remembrance of me. So at the Lord's table, we should be occupied with no one, no one but the Lord Jesus Christ. B, second thing we remember is we remember the Lord's passion. And it's really captured in the first part of that. But verse 26, the first part of verse 26 is, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. When we think of the bread again and we think of the cup, the elements of the Lord's Supper take us directly to Calvary. The, 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 the bread is His body broken for us. The cup is His blood shed for us. It takes us to Calvary. Communion was instituted on the eve of the cross with its dark shadow laying heavy on the Lord's heart and the elements speak of his body broken and his blood poured out and, and they speak with eloquence of his suffering. And that verse is so rich with what is in there and it's so eloquently spoken of the Holy Spirit. For as oft as you eat this cup and drink, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup. But there's also something else. The third thing we remember is the Lord's position. The second part of verse 26 is, So as, as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And that's what we do. We proclaim his death. We remember this. The Lord is no longer on the cross. He's on the throne. And folks, Amen. he's coming soon. Amen. We, we talk often on Wednesday nights. The Lord's return, we know this is imminent. I tend to feel that it may be more immediate. Um, I'm more and more convinced that the Lord's return is, it will be immediate. Now, I don't know what immediate means, but it's certainly imminent. And uh, I believe it will be soon in our lifetimes. Our meditation at the Lord's Supper should include thoughts of his certain return. We should think to that. 
We look back at what he did for us. We think of his suffering and his body that's broken, his blood that's shed for us. And we remember that not only did he do those things, he was buried in the grave, but he rose again. And now today he's at the right hand of the Father. He is our great high priest, our advocate with the Father, and seated at the right hand of Almighty God. Now throughout Scripture, when the Bible speaks of the suffering of Christ, it speaks also of the glory to follow. He arose from the dead He ascended on high. He transcends all time and space. He's coming for his bride. And then with his church, he is going to reign. Amen. 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 We look back and we think of what the Lord did for us. But we also can look forward to what the Lord will do and allow us to be a part of if we're his children. And then Paul transitions and he gives some cautions concerning communion here. Verse 27, he says, therefore. Now, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture... Um, here's a way to remember this, okay? So therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Okay, so it really points back to what he's been talking about. So he's laid out, he just talked about what are we remembering with communion? We've talked about the body and the blood. We've talked about those things, his suffering, his person, his passion, all of that. Now he says, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. How many times have we read that verse and just blown right by it? There's a grave warning in these passages right here. Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and guilty of the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, Now I'm going to come back to that with verse 29. We'll see this, but verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink the cup. So let a man examine himself. Now, studying this out, it's pretty clear we should examine ourselves. We should look into ourselves, and this is a time to reflect, and we'll have this here in a moment. And I'm going to go ahead and say this now. We'll have an invitation time here here in just a few minutes, and uh, this is a time for you to, to reflect and, 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 and pray for God's wisdom to see, is there sin in my life? Are there things that I need to confess? Are there relationships that are wrong? Are there things that are not right between me and God that I need to deal with? Is there some secret pet sin that you have that you just keep holding on to and God's convicting you of it and you just keep holding on to it like everything's okay and I'll just keep it hidden? And it, You know what? You're not hiding it from anybody. You, you, you may be hiding it. Well, let me say this. I said that wrong. You may be hiding it from everybody, but you ain't hiding it from him. And when he's convicting and you're not confessing, then, then you're not doing the right thing. What he says here is, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It also speaks to this. It's not my place to judge you. Now, if someone were in here, and I mean, they're just an open, blatant sin. I mean, they're the, they're the center of Geneva. And I'd give caution. I would give caution to them about taking part in the Lord's Supper. But if you choose to do that, if you've examined yourself and you feel you're good to do it, that's your decision here to make. Now, there are churches, um, so what that means is you need to determine, are, are, are you one that you, you can take part in this? You make that decision. Now, there are churches, and I've shared this before, there are churches that do open communion, churches do closed communion. What that means is this. Closed communion would be, we say, if you're not a member of First Baptist Church of Geneva in good standing, then you cannot take part in communion. There are churches that do that. You have to be in good standing 
a member of their church. That's closed communion. You can't be a part of that. Open communion is what we observe. And that says if you are a born-again believer and you are in right standing with the Lord, you've examined yourself and you feel that you are ready to partake of this, you've, you've properly examined yourself, then we say that's your call. And if you are a born-again believer, then take part in that. I would caution this way. People have said, well, who should take part? Well, I believe that only believers should take part. Okay? Uh, if, you're not a, if you're not a born-again believer, you shouldn't take part in this. Uh, and I'm going I'm to read in a second. You'll see. I'll explain a little more of that. But verse 29. Let's go there. Verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So, so someone who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Whew, strong words there. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. So obviously the context in that day, there were those who were taking part in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. There were those who were sick, those who were weak, and some who had died. So I think what Paul's saying is this is not something to be approached flippantly or casually. This is a very, very serious thing. Those are those who are sick because of this. Today, we're going to the doctor. Oh, I got a sinus infection. Maybe you took part in communion and you were an unworthy receiver of it. Maybe there's unrepentant sin in your life that you need to get right with God because that's why you're weak or you're sick and some have died. It says some and many sleep. That's death. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And what, what Paul's saying is, again, search yourself, examine yourself. Where are you with the Lord? Are you right with the Lord? If there's, if there's sin that needs to be confessed, confess it. If there's something in your life that needs to be repented of, repent of it. Get your walk right with God. Do that. And if you judge yourself and, and then you, you examine those things and the Lord brings those things to mind because I'm going to tell you, you want, a, you want an answered prayer? Just, just ask the Lord to show you sin in your life. He'll answer that prayer. So He wants you to see it. And if we deal with that sin, then we would not be judged. What does it mean, this unworthy manner? It means to participate in the Lord's Supper without proper preparation. The warning may have reference to the unsaved, although it's difficult to see how a person can remember one he doesn't even know. So someone who's lost, that, that would be unworthy. That, 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 it might even be blasphemous for someone who's not a believer to take part in the Lord's Supper and say they're identifying with the body and blood of Christ and they're not even a, a believer and they know they're not a believer. I would be very, very cautious to do that. But let me say, say this. I believe from the scriptures we're reading right here, I think it's probably more harmful for a believer who's walking in sin to take part in communion than it is for an unbeliever to take part in communion. This warning is certainly directed to believers. If we are, if we are to participate at the Lord's table, we, we, we are not to participate by taking it lightly or flippantly. Can't approach this as though it's just, it's just something we do. This is, this is, as we've already seen, this is what this represents and what this identifies with, these elements, it is, it, is, it is so serious. It needs to be taken that way. So you, again, should pray for clarity. Is there unconfessed sin in my life? Does anyone have anything against me? Am I walking in fellowship with the Lord in the light of His Word? Am I, am I right with Him or not? Pray that. Pray for clarity. And then when God reveals it, pray a prayer of confession and repentance. 
and get those things right with God. And if you decide not to do that, then you can just face God's hand of correction. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. So if you're not going to judge yourself, guess who is going to judge you? The Lord's going to judge you. So when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord. It means we are, we, are, we are spanked by the Lord. He'll take us out behind the woodshed and he'll deal with our sin until we get it right in our life. We're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. He visits that again. When you come to the love feast, love each other. Put others before yourself. Show compassion for one another. But if anyone is hungry, and he's kind of wrapping up here by revisiting that, he says, let him eat at home. If you're hungry, man, you're dying, eat. Get you something to eat at home. Don't come in here and be a glutton and put yourself before other people. Lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Paul says, here's the things that need to be corrected. There's some other things. I wish he'd have went ahead and written them out. Amen. He didn't. He says, I've got some other things I'm going to set in order when I come. There's one last thing I want to share. Go back to verse 25. Pastor Aaron, you and the team, can, you can come. One last thing here is uh, verse 25 says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. He says, This do as, oft, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, like I said earlier in the service, you know, we observed the Lord's Supper three weeks ago on Christmas Day. Um, but the scripture doesn't tell us, uh, it, do, it, 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 it doesn't tell us how often. It doesn't tell us, you know, every other week or every once a month or every three months. It doesn't tell us how often we're to do this. But I was convicted this week as I studied because the, the scriptures don't say uh, to do this as often, you know, as, as seldom. It doesn't say as seldom as you drink this. It says as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so one of the things I, I was telling our deacons this morning as we met together, um, I have always sought out since I've been here to, to, to do communion at least a quarterly, at least quarterly. Um, I want to be more intentional with that. I want to I observe the Lord's Supper more often than that. And so if, if, we, if we go two months and we haven't observed the Lord's Supper, ask me about it. I'm, it's okay. I'm giving you, you, you can ask me, Pastor, when are we going to do communion? Because I want to be more intentional with that. And uh, it's a very important part of our worship. It's a, it's a great time of worship. And um, that's a, an area I've been convicted in as pastor. And I feel like I've led poorly in that. So I ask you, I ask you to forgive me for that. And ask the Lord to forgive me for that. As we prepare now for the Lord's Supper, and we remember the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us. Now's the time. As we go into this time of response, reflection, invitation, however you want to call it, now's the time for you to deal with you. And to look inside and, and examine yourself and see what is there. Ask the Lord for clarity for anything that needs to be confessed. This, this altar is open. If you want to come and pray, you can play, pray right there where you are. But I invite you to take this time um, to reflect on this uh, and to not come...
to the Lord's table this morning in an unworthy way. Father, bless now.